That's all I got for you. Let me open us up in a word of prayer. We're going to open up the book of Galatians and see what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for community and how we can just be in relationship with one another. And God, I pray as we look to your word that you would speak to our hearts, God. And as we open up just the book of Galatians for the entirety of this semester, God, would you shape us more into the image of Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, the very, very beginning. So, if you are unfamiliar uh, with your Bible or haven't put much time into it, it's totally okay. A way that I remember where the book of Galatians is in, in the New Testament is it's the very beginning of an acronym of Go Eat Potato Chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Little tips here and there. Tuck that away, that little nugget. So we're in Galatians. Um, it's in the New Testament. So totally okay to use your table of contents too. So go ahead and find the book of Galatians. I'm going to read, as you're finding Galatians chapter 1, I'm actually going to read a portion of Acts chapter 9, which is where Saul, who we know as Paul, um, is called by the Lord. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 9 as you are finding Galatians chapter 1. It says this, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and, re and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way or followed God, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Saul was the disciples was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. And I read this portion of scripture. It's a fascinating story. But I read this because Paul, who we know, wrote a large majority of the New Testament. And Paul, as we're going to see, wrote this letter to the, the church in Galatia. And we're going to start out with some pretty heavy-handed language from Paul for the, the message he's going to convey to the church, to Christians. And I wanted to kind of just take a step back and see where Paul came from and that he was actively, very proactive in getting Christians, followers of the way, arrested and persecuted. And Paul, chosen by God as his special instrument, um, we see here in this letter. And I just thought it was really amazing just to take a step back and just see where Paul came from. And so we're, like I said, launching into a series in the book of Galatians. It's going to take us to Christmas. And you may not be very familiar with the book of Galatians or the letter to the Galatians. Maybe you've logged a lot of time in this book. Maybe you haven't. But I hope and pray that as we submit under it and that we, we learn from it, that God would confront the rebellion we have in our hearts. I pray that God would confront us, that it would illuminate truths that we need to hear, and that that truth would shape and mold our hearts into the image of Jesus. And also I pray that God's word would, would bring about a special death. And what I mean by that is not just uh, a death that we would think, but a death rather to ourselves, to our sinfulness and to our evil motives. And it's in that death where we like die to ourselves that we actually truly find life. And this, this upside down way of the kingdom of God is that whenever we die is when we truly live. It's whenever we fully surrender is whenever we really find true freedom. And I pray that we find that here in Scripture. And I don't know where each of you are at in your walk with the Lord in this season, entering into a new school year, but uh, my hope and prayer is not that I would just come up here with a riveting message to bring about life change, but that God's word would just pierce through your heart and it would change you. And I believe that God's word can do that. And it has done that for my life. And I think it's done that in Paul's life in a very real way where Jesus came to him intrusively in a way, just like, I, you're going to follow me now. And I think God's word can capture our affections in that way, that we, as a church, as a student ministry, are going to be a people. We die to ourselves in which we are really going to truly live. And so I want to... Uh, kind of start us out with our main idea. This is kind of the landing point that I really want to bring home with us tonight. The main idea is this, that the cross of Jesus Christ rescues us from becoming our own saviors. The cross of Jesus Christ rescues us from becoming our own saviors. Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. This is the start of the letter it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, 
but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to, to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me pray for us. God, your word is direct and it's good, and it's heavy. And God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight through your word. I pray that you would confront the false gospels that we have been believing. I pray that you would illuminate the truths that we find in scripture, Lord, and that you would press those deeply into our heart. God, would you give us understanding of what we've read? Give us insight, Lord. May your gospel go forth from our time here tonight, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to kind of give a brief overview of where Paul found himself. For writing such strong language to a group of followers of Jesus, why he would say such a thing. Paul's writing to a group of Christians, and they're scattered right now. And Paul's trying to warn them against the influence that the false teachers are having on them. These people, the false teachers, they're insisting that Gentile Galatian Christians had to show their commitment to Jesus and finalize their devotion by becoming Jewish. In short, they would have to be circumcised, and in their view, they would need to not be Gentiles, but turn themselves into Jews by observing Jewish rituals like this. And so the Gentile men would need to be circumcised, and everyone would need to follow the Jewish calendar and observe Jewish dietary restrictions. There was a heavy emphasis on, you're not Jewish. Do you want to be like right in God's sight? become Jewish, follow this list of things to do, and then you'll be good in God's eyes. There was these false teachers spreading this false gospel that was like, you need to do to become. And the really, there's a lot of really bad things that was happening about this, but the, the false teachers were also discrediting Paul. And so the church 
obviously followed Paul, uh, looked up to him, and these false teachers are saying, you actually don't need to follow Paul at all because he's actually leading you astray, when in reality they were being led astray by these people. And so the worst part of all this is what these people were listening to the false teachers and they were buying into it. They started to buy into the lies and they started to act in accordance to like, if I just follow this X, Y, and Z, then I'll be good. And Paul is saying, I can't believe you guys are buying into this. This is wild. And Paul's writing to set the record straight with the unquestionable reality that your status as children of God is not based on your works, the observances, the rituals you perform. Your status as God's child is based solely and finally on the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. And Paul is setting the record straight here. So verse one, Paul gives himself basically the authority in which to speak. In verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's establishing something very important to set up the rest of the letter. He's saying, I was appointed, we just read it, Acts chapter nine, I was appointed by God. Paul didn't sit through a church membership business meeting. He wasn't, the congregation didn't vote on him and send him out. Paul was chosen and appointed by God on the Damascus road and he was sent out. And Paul is saying, I was chosen by God, an apostle, like divine, divinely chosen and sent out. He's establishing his credibility. And Paul goes on uh, verses two through five, and it's, it's pretty standard Pauline greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Normally, Paul would also offer a thanksgiving. And it was kind of intriguing that Paul doesn't offer a thanksgiving in this greeting. It's probably because Paul's a little peeved at this moment with what's actually been taking place. But like I said, standard formalities here from Paul. He revisits his authority by which he's been sent from God. Then verse six, I am amazed. And this is not a good amazed. Like, wow, that was amazing. That was an amazing stake. This is not that kind of amazing. It was like, I am amazed at how quickly you turn from the gospel. Like, this is not, this is not a proud moment. This is not a moment where he's bragging. Paul is saying, I am astounded at how quickly you bought in to false gospels. He's amazed that these followers of Jesus are buying into a false gospel and it doesn't offer them freedom, it, rather it offers them bondage. A gospel that's requiring to follow a certain law and this example is the Mosaic law, the Jewish law. And Paul's not even amazed that there's false teachers out there. He's not amazed about false teachers, but he's amazed that they're buying into what they're selling, that they're swaying those that have experienced God's grace through faith in Jesus. I want you to look at verse six. Again, there's one word in here that I really want us to, to look at, and I want you to circle it. If it's in your own Bible, circle that word turning. They're turning to a different gospel. This word literally means a transfer of allegiance. It's as if they put on a different jersey. Like there's no 
both sides of the fence. It was like you have transferred your allegiance from the true gospel to another gospel. You've turned to a different gospel. And he goes on in verse seven, not that there is another gospel, there's not. There are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, the reality is Paul is getting at this. There is no adding to the gospel. Like, yeah, Jesus dying for sinners. That's great. But also, you need to be Jewish. You need to perform the rituals, X, Y, and Z. Then, then you will be saved. That, that's distorting the gospel and it's adding to the message. And honestly, revising the gospel takes away the gospel completely. Paul is so astounded and confused as to how quickly they're turning away from the very message that saved them. And they bought into the lie that you must do X, Y, and Z to be saved in addition to having faith in Jesus. This is not the gospel. And he goes on, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. I want you to observe like the, the humility though that Paul is coming to this. He's saying that I am not exempt from this. If we, he says this, even if we or an angel, he says, even if I distort the gospel message, stop listening to me. Like this is the severity of what Paul is saying. It's like we need to feel the gravity of this. Even if I start to preach a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, a curse be on me. He says, reject me if I cause you to stray from the true gospel. Don't follow me any longer if what I say is contrary. And he says, as we have said before in verse 9, I now say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. So you may be thinking like, what does this passage, 1 through 10, have to do with me here being a high school student? And the reality is, is that there are a lot of messages out there that are vying for you to buy into them. There's a lot of messages out there that are false gospels saying that, well you, well, you just need to be happy. You need to be happy. You deserve happiness. And that's a false gospel. You and I were never promised happiness in this life. We've said it before. God's not nearly concerned about your happiness as much as he's concerned about your holiness. The gospel is not, we do these things and you'll be happy. There's a, there's a lot, and I could go through a list of all of the false gospels that are out there, of the things that you, you and I know that we buy into, and it's like this is an addition to the gospel message. And I want us to kind of slow down a second, look at some assurances we have in this passage. Verse 4 helps us see that Jesus rescues us by being our substitute. Jesus rescues us by being our substitute. 
He says it in verse four, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. That Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Substitution is the avenue God used to redeem humanity. It wasn't by random people just starting to measure up and other people caught on. It was Jesus was our substitute. Substitution is the avenue God used to redeem humanity. Jesus' death was not a death that Jesus deserved, but it was a death that we should have paid. And Jesus took that from us so that we could be in relationship with God. Second assurance I want us to walk away with is that Jesus rescued us from sin, but we are not sinless. I followed, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I was baptized when I was seven, but didn't actively follow Jesus until later high school. And I, I wish I was further along in my walk than I am. And I think many of us probably feel that way. If you followed Jesus through any season of life that you just wish, I wish I should be further along than I am. And it's not to like to just all of a sudden just feel guilt for no reason or anything like that. It's just the reality is like I still struggle. I'm still a struggling sinner. And the reality is, is that Jesus substituted the death penalty that, does, that belonged to me. My sin, though, is paid for through Jesus. It's not through my works. It's not through being awesome on Easter Sunday or anything like that. It's just that Jesus, his work on the cross paid for my sin fully. And I am still stumbling and fumbling my way through this life, but I still struggle with sin, but Jesus paid for it fully and finally. But we are still here on this earth that is tainted and broken by sin. We must be diligent about knowing the truth so that when false gospels present themselves, we're not deceived by them. The third assurance I want us to walk away with is that God's work on the cross was for God's glory and not yours. As followers of Jesus, we must point to Jesus in all things. We must be Christ-centered, God-focused, and Spirit-filled. And one of the most consistent temptations and false gospels that you and I will face in our lifetime is believing the lie that this life is all about you. As God's creation, we were created first and foremost to enjoy God and find awe in God. Our first allegiance when we are in Christ is to God himself. We are to please God. It's about him. It's always been about him. And we can go through life all the while thinking, well, what do I want? What about me? And all the while, God is just helping us realize it was never truly about you. But God longs to be with his creation. But it was never about us. It was always about his glory and our good. 
So, it's far better for us to be enslaved to God than to be a slave to the opinions and approvals and acceptance of others. And the reason why many in, in this lifetime and in that culture in the book of Galatians, the reason why people didn't believe in the saving work of Jesus is because they lusted after and pursued the glory and praise from people rather than from God. And it really doesn't sound that much different than today. This is deadly, and it paints a false gospel in our mind and in our hearts. So here's why this is so important for us. This is why I want us to go through this letter. Is that you and I need rescued from ourselves. We need rescued. There is no way to God except through faith in the life of death, resurrection of Jesus. And he made a way for us to be in relationship with God. Again, through this series and our time in God's word, I want to be clear and I don't want to muddy the waters of the gospel. But what we gather from Paul here is that the very moment we add to the gospel, we lose it entirely. The gospel in the most clear sense, is done by God and God alone. There is only one gospel. There is no adding to it. There is no editing it. There's no revising it. It is the one true gospel. So when we say we've received God's grace through faith in Jesus, we're saying that it was gracious of God to even allow us to have faith in Jesus. It's a gift and it's not because of what you did. It's all because of Jesus. And Jesus, through the cross, rescued us from becoming our own saviors. I pray as we dig into this letter more and more that we would die to ourselves. And in that death, we will truly live and find life. The cross of Jesus Christ rescues us from becoming our own saviors. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the, re the depth and the realities that Paul's addressing here. God, there are many things trying to get us to buy into the lie that this is where our hope should be. And God, I pray that you would just help realign our hearts to the gospel. God, bring us back. Instead of believing lies, that these things are going to actually provide hope. God, help us to find our hope and our peace in you. And God, I pray in our times with our D groups that you would help us to have real and honest conversations. God, that you would help us as we trek through this life together. God, that you would bring about resolve and God, that we would die to ourselves so that we can truly live for you. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.